Welcome to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World. Two film buff friends decide to spend their remaining days creating and watching the ultimate movie bucket list. A podcast filled with film discussions, movie reviews, and a healthy dose of juicy celebrity gossip. Cinephiles unite. We're going to need each other. Okay, Mita asked me to say what's going on. She's, Mita, you're drinking a milkshake. (laughs) I drink it up. Did you, where did you go to get it from? Five guys. (laughs) Is it a good milkshake? Yeah, it's a peanut butter chocolate milkshake. Okay, what a time Mm. to be alive. (laughs) Good choice, good choice. Remember when before we recorded, I said, I'm going to be a little bit late. Yeah, that's why. (laughs) Because I had to, I, you had to well, go I was get somewhere the milkshake, else, but yeah. I knew I had to go get the milkshake. Oh. And then I was like, where am I going to get a milkshake? Because I didn't want a McDonald's one because their machines are always broken. Always? Why are they always broken? <laughs> They're not, have you not, do you not know this? They're not actually broken. Well, okay, wait. It's I've things. heard this. They're not always broken, but I think They're cleaning it clean. is a bitch to clean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they'll say that it's broken so that they don't have to use it. But yeah. then also those machines are very expensive to repair. Yeah. So they might actually be broken and nobody wants to repair them. So they are always broken. Yeah. That's fair. I could see that happening. How's it going, Mitha? I am alive and well. Alive and well. <laughs> alive and well is the new one. Okay. I'm feeling good. I have this really great milkshake. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous. Which is like hitting the spot. I don't know if dairy is the best option before recording something, <laughs> but are you a little lactose intolerant? No, like dairy is not good for your vocal. Oh, right, cords. for your vocal cords. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> are you not a professional singer? <laughs> no, me and Adele go way back. She tells me all her secrets. Adele knows. Adele knows. <laughs> So, Mita, the SAG Awards were yesterday, and I don't really <laughs> yeah. think we needed to talk about them, except for the fact that they were a shit show. Yeah, they're just a cluster beep of... Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't... And now I'm so confused, like, what's going to happen next month? There, No what's one gonna... knows what's going to happen at the Oscars. I think there's a few set things. Will Smith is a guarantee. <sighs> I think Ariana DeBose, DeBose, is however you pronounce it, is also a set. But that's yeah. it. I just want to say... Academy, if you're listening. Yeah. I don't know when the voting ends, but have you not seen Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog? Yeah. How are you not choosing that over Will Smith? Yeah. I agree. Because, I would have voted for Ben. Yeah. Me too. Because Will Smith is just playing Will Smith as Serena Venus's yeah. dad. That's true. I think I said this on the podcast before, but it's not anything new or inspiring. It isn't. What Benedict Cumberbatch does in that movie, like, it, he's not Benedict Cumberbatch. No, it's really, it's really amazing. It is. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is Best Actress. Yeah. The, I don't know what's going <laughs> to happen there. That is a hot mess of a category right now. For people who don't follow the Oscars as acutely as Mitha and I do, yeah. Nicole Kidman won the GGs, the Golden Globes. Yesterday, Jessica Chastain won for The Eyes of Tammy, Tammy Faye, and no one has any clue. Who knows? Yeah. None what of these BAFTAs? women were nominated for BAFTAs. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> someone's going to win BAFTA who's not on this list. Kristen Stewart was not on any list, but is on the Oscar list and was the front runner at the beginning of the season. I, th- I-, I think Penelope Cruz is out. I you think, think Olivia. I think Olivia Coleman is out, too. Okay. Only, and I think Penelope Cruz is out because just like 
she's just she should be happy to be there at this point. I don't think Chastain is gonna get Oscar. SAG is big though. All most of the SAG people on SAG and the actors branch are in the academy. Do you feel like SAG was just like, we don't want to give Nicole this one? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Oh, God. And I think Jessica I Chastain know. has goodwill. This is not the one. Like, first of all, Jessica Chastain should have won for Zero Dark Thirty. Yep. Let's be honest. Yep. But, like, I, I've seen Tammy Faye. Have you? I haven't, no. Okay. She does a great job in it. It's not the greatest movie. If I'm looking at her standalone, like, just her, my issue with it is, like, Tammy Faye is such a hard character to do because of her physical appearance, yeah. because of how, like, outlandish it is. And so when you're watching it, it's not a Tammy Faye impersonation. Like, she does a good job. She's she's not impersonating her. She's acting as her. But it's so... You you still are able to say, like, oh, that's Jessica Chastain playing Tammy Faye. Mm. There are moments in Spencer where I forgot it was Kristen Stewart. Yeah. That's... That's it. That's the difference yeah. there. And so, like, I would love for Kristen Stewart to get the Oscar, which is so weird for me to say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if she's... I, maybe, you know, it's been a shit show. It could just keep continuing yeah. and come out of nowhere. It could be Penelope Cruz. And, like... <laughs> like it could. Knowing what's happening, it really could. So it's It could be a tie. Place. That's happened. Very rarely. I mean, just ask Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn. Audrey's mom? No. Oh my god, I can't. No, stop it. You're gonna confuse people. No, they get it. They know. You're being irresponsible. <laughs> With celebrity information. You really are. Um, but then I was very happy to see Best Supporting Actor go to Troy. I'm forgetting his last name right now. Is it Kustra? The father from Coda. From Coda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and his speech was really lovely too. So I, I enjoyed seeing that. That is also going to be I, I hope Coda doesn't win Best Picture, though. Because oh, it would be like Green Book winning will. Best Picture. No, I don't think it will. I do think that's between Power of the Dog. I think it's Power of the Dog. Kotzer. Troy Kotzer. Kotzer. I think it is Power of the Dog. That's yeah. what I think. But we'll see. We will. We'll find out. Because that is in a few weeks towards the end of our season. Mm-hmm. But yes, Mita, I kept something from you. Oh, no. I don't like secrets. I went to the cinema on Saturday. <gasps> Without know. me? I know. I went with my wife. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not see anything in an English language. What Bollywood film <laughs> did you see? <laughs> so on Friday, one of my eagerly awaited films came out. Sanjali Pansali's next movie. Sanjali Pansali directed Padmavat, which is one of the movies we reviewed in our first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gangu by Kathiawadi, starring okay. Alia Bhatt, came out mm-hmm. on Friday. Is this the one where she's like a female gangster? That was what female? it was. Yeah, that was kind of what it was before people saw it. She was really, Gangu Bai is, by the way, she was a real woman. She was a young woman who was sold into prostitution by her lover and then essentially became the madam of the brothel she was a part of and then became a alleged mafia queen, like a mafia boss in Bombay. So, like, if Heidi Fleiss hadn't gone caught, this is what her life could have been. But Gangubai spent her mafia years advocating for the rights of prostitutes and sex oh, workers in, yeah, in Bombay. 
So yeah. she ended up being a bit of a social worker. So anyways, this movie largely focuses on her life, like start like from when she became a prostitute towards the end where she essentially managed to there was talk of destroying the brothel where she came from and she managed to keep it. That's where it came from. So we d- we had decided to go um, earlier in the week. We got babysitting and all of that. Bought tickets online. It was a sold out crowd at a theater, which to me was super exciting. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, forget COVID, because I know we all have different like COVID mentalities, but mm-hmm. I love seeing a movie in a sold out crowd. It gives me a certain amount of pleasure just to be in the crowd watching the movie. So by sold out, do you mean sold out by COVID standards? No, me like, that. Wall they to wall allowed people. people to sympathize with yeah. each other? So what, what oh. the theater is doing, Landmark, is where I saw it. Uh-huh. They're doing two types of shows, and they didn't have them during the weekend. But during the week, you can either go to a regular viewing or a distanced mm-hmm. viewing, oh. which I thought was really cool. But on the weekend, they only... because So what happened was... The movie sold out. We went to an 8.05 show. Mm-hmm. Then around the afternoon, they added a 9.30 show, which mm-hmm. sold out. They added a 9.20 show, which <laughs> then sold out. They added a 9.50 show, which then sold out. And then the following day, they upped it from three shows to six shows. They did it on Tuesday as well. They like The, the demand for this movie was so... I think it was selling out more than any other like movie that was playing there. Mm-hmm. So they probably shut down some movies and gave the space to this because the demand was just there. Fair. And so when I mean sold out, I mean not a single seat available. Wow. I love that. It gives me such energy. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I haven't been to one of those since I saw A Star is Born. Wow. (laughs) was a while ago. And I saw it by myself, and I really don't like being in a sold-out really? theater. Especially when I go as, like, just by myself. Because I do, and I when we've gone to the movies, I've said I need a buffer yeah, between I know. us. I really like having my space. Like, I like having that before COVID. Because I remember when I saw A Star is Born, I saw it by myself. And there was an open seat next to me. And there was this mother and daughter who were going to have to, like, sit separately. Yeah. And so I volunteered. Is this before assigned seating? This, yeah, the showing didn't have assigned seating. Remember, So, like, it wasn't always, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, Nadim. What a life Not to all live. the theaters had assigned How dumb was seating. that? Why didn't they do that? I don't know. They should have, they should always have it. It's brilliant. It was it's brilliant. Great. By the yeah. way, that's been the case in India since forever, just throwing that out there. <laughs> but yes, so I, yeah, this mom and da- daughter were going to have to sit separately, and so I volunteered, but then I got smushed in between, like, two other people, and I didn't enjoy it at all, and I don't think I want to go back to that kind of an experience. I love sold it's out gross. Theaters. I find <laughs> this was not, like, a crowd-pleasing film. I will give you that. It was quite oh. serious. Despite it being a Sanjali Lepensali movie, it was beautifully mounted, it looked really beautiful, but it was ultimately about the plight of prostitutes. So it wasn't, and like the first scene, which is probably his best shot scene, is a mm-hmm. pan down of a 14-year-old girl getting made up and her nose getting pierced like with a, an earring being thrown oh. into her nose and her being like thrown into a brothel. It's very dramatic and very dark. So it's not the time <laughs> while we were sitting down, a girl was telling her boyfriend, this isn't a fun movie. I hope you know that. <laughs> because <laughs> I think people were like, I think people expected something a little bit light, ha- lighter hearted. But 
Still being in a sold out crowd, I find just feeds you a little bit of energy. And some of my best movie going experiences have been in like packed crowds. I remember, I remember when I saw The Dark Knight, I saw it with a friend. And this is Mm -hmm. before the North American movie system got their shit together and made it assigned seats where you had to wait in line to be guaranteed a good seat. So Mm -hmm. we were going to a 10 o'clock show. I got there at 8 o'clock or 8.30. And I remember The Dark Knight was playing in eight screens of 16. So like one whole side of a theater was just The Dark Knight. Knight. And there was no room inside the the movie complex. So the lines had to be outside the theater. It Uh started to torrential downpour. (gasps) I mean torrential downpour. What theater is this? It was Scotiabank in the east. Oh, you went to the East End. That's yeah. Why. And so it was like, <laughs> it was torrential downpour. My friend showed up like right before we got in because she was working. And I was like, that's nice. And so we had to go in, essentially dry off in the theater. And it was sold out, obviously. And it was the most electrifying experience. <laughs> because everyone had the same like physical experience, but everyone was experiencing this, what would become a legendary movie at the same time. Yeah. And you could tell people knew, like that audience knew what they were watching. Mm-hmm. You see these reaction videos of like people who watch like Marvel movies and when like big things happen and the crowd goes wild, like, do you, does that not just give you like It joy? gets you excited. Like I, I, I know you hate it, but when I saw um avengers endgame yeah. in theater and i okay maybe that was the last like sold out movie that i saw yeah. but stars born is the one that where i was like the most aggravated but uh, avengers endgame like the actual the experience of like the crowd going wild during certain scenes and like being like being yourself like going like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when all the women show up to help spider-man you're like yeah all the ladies are there <laughs> and like I recently was watching it on off of Disney Plus, yeah. like in my family room, and I was thinking to myself, like, "Oh, remember when I saw this yeah. in theaters?" And like everybody was just like so excited when all of a sudden you hear him say, "Like on your left," and then everybody came and like they were all, yeah. I, you know what? As you said it, I got really. Isn't excited. it exciting? <laughs> yeah. And like I find it happens less and less with American movies, generally speaking. But like, do you remember seeing like Kuchkuchota in a theater? I do. <laughs> um, it was probably the Bi Towns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most likely. It was packed. Yeah. Me and my lifelong friend, I think I've said this before, but we had to like sit in the aisles. Yep. Because all the adults yep. were, yeah, because I would have been like seven years old probably. And it, yeah, no, I I do have a sense memory of like sitting in the aisles watching it and remembering my friend turning to me and being like, you have the same haircut as Kajul. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had short hair at the time. I find I have, ha- there are some average movies I've seen where the experience has been better than the movie itself. And where I've seen amazing movies where the experience itself has been quite bland, but the movie itself has been good. But the... It's what changes the movie-going experience. Like, being there... I remember go, when I was in... I could talk about this forever because it actually is so exciting. I lived in Dublin when Om Shanti Om came out. Yeah. And I didn't think that there were they would play Bollywood movies in Dublin, of all places. This was 12 years ago. <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, almost 15 years ago. It's a long time. Long, long time ago. And... I remember thinking, like, this, it wasn't going to happen, but it ended up showing. We ended up going. It was a sold-out crowd. I'm talking, like, 300 people. Sold-out crowd. 
there's that song Divangi that happens in the second half where it's just like cameo after cameo of Bollywood performances. And the mm-hmm. like the crowd excitement and the like the hooting and the hollering and the clapping and the like people like really it's such a like it's visceral. It's visceral. It changes yeah. everything about the experience. Mm-hmm. Where were you when you saw Dave Das? <laughs> Mayfair Theater. That's May- okay. Mayfair. I was in Edmonton. Okay. And my parents left me in Edmonton for the summer. Wow. Like, with, with my aunt yeah. and uncle and my grandparents. Yeah. But like my my parents and my sister, went. we went for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And then after the party, my parents went back to Ottawa with my sister and they left me in Edmonton for the summer to just like hang out. But one of my uncle's friends probably got a bootleg copy of Dave's house and we watched it in their basement and they had a theater room in their basement. And this was like 2003, 2004, right? Like this was before theater rooms were like a thing that people had in their basements. So like, you know, these people were rich Rich. and... (laughs) I, but like, I remember there was just so much anticipation building because I found out that my parents and my sister had already seen Dave Das mm. when they were back in Ottawa yeah. and I had it and I was so upset yeah. about it <laughs> that they got to have that experience. And I, I don't know, it yeah. just reminded me of that. Like that was a big one for people too. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. was just saying that like the, honestly, I miss, it reminded me of the theater going experience and the excitement of going to the movies. And like, that's such a niche experience and like, not even a lot of movie fans love that. And so I just wanted to share. But I do want to say one last thing before we go into our, our review is that yeah. Gungubai was actually okay as a movie. I would give it three and a half stars. Oh. Movie itself is the script lacks a little, but mm-hmm. what it makes up for in scripting and a lot of other things, it makes up for with what will probably become Alia Putt's career-defining performance. Oh. She is amazing in it. She completely mm-hmm. owns the role. And she she makes an otherwise... Uh, she elevates an otherwise average movie with her performance. Mm. Which is what some people might say about the movie we reviewed this week. Oh, la la. Did you like that segue? I did like that yeah, segue. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> Very good. So this week, we watched my pick for Mita. We watched P.T. Anderson's There Will Be Blood. And there was. There was a little. Mita, do you want to give us? On my end. My body may have. (laughs) I'm a woman. And I've been one since I was 12 years old. And there was blood. Ironically, while Mita was watching, there will be blood. I mean, it it didn't happen while I was watching it. That would have been perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that is someone's period story somewhere, please. I was watching There Will Be Blood. And then, and then, and then, then there was period. blood. Please. If that is your story, please. It's contact probably us, someone. Or us. you need to write that in a TV show. In a TV show, show. yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh Mita, give us the discro. Okay. It's not about periods, guys. Um <clears throat> There Will Be Blood is described as a story of family, religion, hatred oil, and madness, focusing on a turn-of-the-century prospector in the early days of the business. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. That's pretty much it. And no matter how dumb it sounds, that's legitimately what this movie is about. Yeah. yeah. Nadim, can you explain to myself and our listeners why you chose There Will Be Blood? Yes. So... This had gone on my list early on. It was one of the movies that when I knew you hadn't seen, I wanted to put it. But I do feel like last season when we were talking about No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. this made an appearance 
in our yes. conversation or pre-recording, right? Yeah, we were talking about... Well, it, so here's the, the thing. Yeah. And I said this when we recorded No Country for Old Men. I always confuse yeah. No Country for Old Men with There Will Be Blood. Like, I don't... I, back then, I didn't know what the difference yeah. was between the two of them. So I think that's where it originated from. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you... Yeah, and there there's a lot of tonal similarities, I'd say, mm-hmm. between the two. But yes. I remember seeing There Will Be Blood for the first time in theater with my father and remember it being such a visceral experience watching it. And I think it's actually, I think it is a defining film of this decade of this, mm-hmm. like of the two thousands for sure. It is an important film, I think. And we talked about this last week. I'm just recording our episode for uh, stories we tell where we talked briefly about PT Anderson and how we both think he's overrated. And I was this close to actually saying uh, Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood, but I didn't want to overstate my opinion before we got to it. But there you go. this is probably P.T. Anderson's best movie. Mm-hmm. And as a fan of Boogie Nights, I felt you should see this. Okay. So here we are. But I do want to say, mm. when I watched it this time, I was just like, I could see Mitha not liking this. <laughs> I can totally see Mitha. This is what I think. This is... Before we get into tell the me, conversation. Yeah, tell me what you think I think. I think Mita understands this is a good movie, but just didn't like it. Oh my god, that's literally <laughs> what my line was going to be. Seriously? I Yeah, I completely 100% understand the the stature yeah. of this film. I think there's a lot spoken here without like being told. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that this movie provides. There's a great performance done by Daniel Day-Lewis. A career-defining performance as well. Uh, yes. Do you feel like his career was defined by this? Like, I he think had a career. People he, knew who he was. He, they did, but I think when you look back on his film, very prestigious filmography, I mm-hmm. think this is the one that really does stick out. If you have to I, pick one performance of his, I think it's this. I want to get back to that. Sure, I have absolutely. A point to say about that, but yes, um, I do understand the stature of this film and sort of what it packs, yeah, and what it could mean to a lot of people yeah. too. Not my cup of tea. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. First, so my my literal first note said eighteen ninety eight. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just don't love that time period. I the don't find the it. The turn of the century is not interesting to me. No. The early 1900s, but also oil is really uninteresting to me. I feel like I've been told this story so many times yeah. about how great men go crazy over the pursuit of gold and oil yeah. and like to have that, that fortune. Yeah. And I just like am completely taken outside of it i just don't i don't know i don't love it but i do understand how this could be very important to some people and how this has sort of like kind of changed how we see films as well like i feel like when i think about this was what 2007 i think about some of the things that were like nominated for best picture even beforehand and a lot of them were very like, I don't know if juvenile is the right choice, but I think about things like A Beautiful Mind and American Beauty, and yeah. it's like has this notion of being a very serious movie. Yeah. But when you actually watch it, a it's serious, very like, yeah. 
90s cheesy yeah. early 2000s kind of cheese Blood where i think eater. this is kind of exactly yeah. this is kind of the turning point of like no no, no. we can have serious, serious films movie, yeah. that are made very well yeah. but again years later somebody could be saying the same thing but i do i do see that like that kind of light switch mm-hmm. of like nope this is and this with no country for old men yeah. i think that does help it i think if you had this Alone, I don't know if it would have had the same effect culturally. Oh, okay, you think that that the duality of them is what made them both essentially better movies? Yeah, and I think that was so much of the conversation at the time. Yeah. Like, look at these two films. Look at these two films because there are a lot of similarities tonally, yeah. um, even, even just like thematically too. Thematically, yes, exactly what I was going to say. There, there are a lot of similarities. If I'm going to choose which one I prefer, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Yeah. I think the story there is just more interesting. It's gripping to me on a personal level too. Like I, I meet this like a serial, a serial killer. killer. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're gonna ask me which performance I prefer, oh. I'm gonna go the route with Javier. Really? Yeah. Okay. But I, there was something that you had said that I wanted to point at, and mm. now I can't remember what it was. We can get back to it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I do. You were exactly right in your assumption of, like, I understand why this movie is important, but I didn't really love it. Like, good for you, not for me kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I can appreciate the good. I don't have to, you know? Yeah. I can totally see that because I walked away from this being, I hadn't seen this in many years. I had seen it when it came out in 2007, 15 years ago, and then Mm -hmm. a couple of times after that, but I haven't seen it in a while. And so one thing, I'm always a little weary of, like, we're in a weird time. I'm in a weird time in my life where I'm, like, getting older, but I remember my youth. And, like, Mm -hmm. I remember when this movie came out, I remember going to the theater to see it. How it looks on screen looked, it was, how am I trying to say this? It was in the highest resolution, let's say. Now I watch movies in 4K. So how is this Mm -hmm. movie that was, at one point, the height of production is now a little behind on do you know what i mean and it is a movie that's set in 1890 and so well 1900s yeah yeah but like yeah it starts off old it's yeah all men it's a movie about oil there's a lot of things that could work against this but i was riveted from start to finish and it is a long film really because i feel like it doesn't pick up until an hour into it no. When they finally have that explosion and H.W. loses his hearing, that's when I was like, oh, now things are getting interesting. That whole 15-minute sequence in the beginning where no one talks is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you aren't able to see Mita's like, eye-rolling when she was like, yeah. But it was like really summed up how Mita feels about this versus how I feel about this. Yeah. I think I loved that sequence. I was just like, this is so... It's how to make a movie without saying anything. Movies are often so much about, people think they're about dialogue, but it's not. A movie is a visual medium. And what mm-hmm. you've done, and he's done with this, is he's told me a story. In 15 minutes, here's a man on his own, how his pursuit of that, you know, how he started that. Because mm. the easy way to do it is to have some prologue, or to have someone talk about it, or to have big conversations. And not show this man in the desert, alone by a fire, trying to find something. And then slowly saying how he got to that, how he got to his son, like all of those things. And then we get into the movie. Then we get into the kind of the, the meat of what this man is trying to pursue here. 
but mm-hmm. it starts off and it really oscillates between quiet moments and big moments mm. because there's these moments, for instance, where he meets Paul Dano's characters and like he, he's pursuing things and things are in motion, but very quietly in motion. I see what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did pinpoint it, though, that this is a very masculine film. And I just don't have the tolerance for that right now. But (laughs) what I I say is that it does occur to me that this is super masculine, but... I don't think it's toxic. It's definitely not toxic. And I think this is... I don't see anything wrong in it. Like, when I look at this and I'm like, it's all men, it's very masculine. I don't need a woman in this, though. I don't need him to be pursuing no. a woman. I don't need that feminine energy. And I'm not saying that, like, I don't need women. I'm just saying in this story, I don't think it demanded it. And I think it would be just very, like, it would be very cheesy for there to be some sort of, like, a love interest or, so, like, or his supportive wife, like, trying to put a Lady Macbeth in there. Like, yeah. I think that wouldn't work in this story. I just think in the, the time and the place that I am currently mm-hmm. in, I'm just like, I don't know if I want this story. If I want to consume this right now, because I just feel I I do recognize like it being masculine is actually its strongest point, because if you're going to have a film where you're talking about a man's journey and his struggle with dealing with greed and fortune, Mm -hmm. then, yeah, the focus should be him and there shouldn't be these like extra sort of bits of femininity thrown in there for the sake of throwing it in. I just, I don't know. I can't. (laughs) It was two hours and 40 minutes of boys. Boys in the 1900s. And I just can't. I don't, I don't know how to describe it to you. It's just so tiring and exhausting to me. But do you think you could watch women in the 1900s? Two hours and 40 minutes. I don't want to watch anyone in the 1900s. (laughs) Like, even when we watched the piano, I was like, yeah. uh, I'm not, I don't know. It's a really hard, it's not even a decade. It's a hard time period for me to, like, actually show interest in. Except for the Beguiled. I really enjoyed the Beguiled. The Beguiled is mostly women. Yeah. that have, Maybe that is You have it. a thing yeah. for Sofia Coppola, too. Yeah, that's probably it. It's my bias is showing. But I do, I enjoy P.T. Like, I think he does a, this is... Very good filmmaking, and it's so restrained from what he does in other films. Like, when I think about Magnolia, Mm -hmm. and when I think about even Boogie Nights, like, this is so different. And I think that this really does show his talent as a director. Maybe not so much as a writer, but... And his dialogue writing, it absolutely does. Yes, but I don't know. Um, I think I have to watch it a second time to, like... The third act is literally just quotable quotes. Like, one after the other. It's just full of, like, amazing one-liners. Mita's drinking her milkshake. Sorry. <laughs> if anything, the milkshake, the milkshake industry, I'm like, oh, it's PT. So much funny. <laughs> no, but I think, like, this is really good, especially after watching Liquor's Pizza. This shows what he's capable of yeah. as a director, and that he can kind of step away. Because I think about his other films, there is like a quirkiness to it. There is this sort of like level of hipsterness mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that yeah, comes his, along with them. He makes hipster movies. Yeah, he does. And this is so far from that. And I think that's really commendable. I think 
if you're gonna and it's interesting to me because again to this comparison of no country for old men it's the same way i felt about the coen mm-hmm. brothers like no country for old men did not feel like a coen's brother movie yeah. to me and it was so far from what i'm used to seeing and it's the same thing with him in this it's a really like i'm just i'm interested to know like what inspired him to tell this story what made him sit down and uh, decide i'm not gonna make this a paul talk I can't say his name. Paul Thomas Anderson film. I'm going to make something that I typically wouldn't do. But I think what this does is it takes the best of PT and it kind of lets go of all of the flashy parts of it. Mm -hmm. Like it really, because I think Boogie Nights is the exception to that rule. I think I haven't seen Licorice Pizza, but I feel like Licorice Pizza is like Inherent Vice. Mm -hmm. And I hated Mm -hmm. Inherent Vice. It was yeah, just so it was so ridiculous. It was just too much of a film. And then there's the pretension of the master, which is, again, its own, like, bad beast. I think, generally speaking, I think P.T. has created some masterpieces. Mm-hmm. This and Boogie Nights. And I know to some degree you also think Magnolia. But he's created some schlock as well. And you see his skill at work here. I haven't seen Phantom Thread. Do you see it in Phantom Thread? I've seen Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread is interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a little more this than that. Okay. So I will give it that. Because I like this P.T. Anderson. (laughs) I don't like the Inherent Vice P.T. Anderson. You probably won't like Liquor's Pizza. That's why I'm not even excited to see it. I'm kind of just like, I'll see it because I have to. But I'm not looking forward to it. Because I know what it's going to feel like. Now that I'm thinking about it, though, I do think it's like the time period that really is driving that. Because if you think about Boogie Nights and Licorice Pizza and the first part of Magnolia, (laughs) Um, another really long movie. Um, He likes them long. Yeah. There is a, like, with Boogie Nights and Licorice Pizza, it's set in the 70s, right? So there is that sort of, like... That time period is very colorful. It's it's groovy. It's yeah. sort of like wishy-washy nature. Even Magnolia, oh, it's set in the 90s. There is flashbacks to the 70s. I think so. That's when the game yeah. show was happening, right? Yeah. But you still have that 70s sensibility in present-day 90s, like in terms of like what the characters are wearing, the colors, yeah. and like how he set the tone. You can't do that with the early 1900s. <laughs> and I think that works so well in his favor. Like, he produced something really great, but at the same time, there's this part of me that feels like this isn't a Paul Thomas Anderson film, though. This is, like, something so beyond what he has done, and it's so great, but, like, do I love him for this? Is this what I but came what to is see? what Paul Thomas Anderson from? That's an interesting question, because you can think of what... So, one thing that occurred to me while I was watching Gungubai, ironically, this weekend was mm-hmm. how essentially the Pansali is probably more like Quentin Tarantino than anything. In so far that he has a very distinct directing style, a mm-hmm. very particular style. I don't think there's a director who makes movies more beautiful than Sanjali Le Pansali. Like the frames, the looks, his color, like his color choices, yeah. his saturation. He knows how to lens a movie like no one else in mm-hmm. the world. I have not seen anyone comparable in the West do what he does. And to make brothels look gritty but beautiful at the same time. There's, like, shots of, like, prostitutes just sitting on a bed, like a, a gaggle of girls just sitting, talking about how they're, they miss their fathers. And it's such a poignant scene, 
but it's perfectly lensed. It's immaculate. Mm. And I was just like, this is really quite something. It's artful. And I think the same thing about Quentin Tarantino, that he knows knows exactly what he's going for in terms of tone. He might not know about story. He might not know about character, but he knows tone where he's going. What does that say about P.T.? When you throw this into the mix, I just feel like it muddles what I thought I knew about him. Because then there's someone like Wes Anderson, who is whimsical. That's the only way to describe him. And he's consistent in his yeah, whimsy. exactly. Yeah. And that that's who he... I can tell you what when there's a Wes Anderson film playing. Yeah. Like, I can tell you, like, that is Wes Anderson. That's Wes Anderson, Without Anderson, a doubt. Yeah. yeah. But and why... There's a whole TikTok trend. <laughs> yeah. But why is how P.T. has made his films a bad thing? Like, why is it, why is it that, is it good that you can tell what a Quentin movie or a Sanjali Lepansali or a Wes Anderson movie is? Is that a good thing? It's an interesting question because I think when you think about great filmmakers, I I mean, like, I can watch an old movie that Hitchcock made and I can tell you, like, that that's that's Hitchcock Hitchcock movie. Or I can say something, it's it's Hitchcockian. It's become a verb in itself. And I think people, you know, in modern day cinema, it's really hard to find these auteurs, so to speak, of like, who is showing us something that's so representative of them as a director? What is their point of view in a film? And I wouldn't, if you didn't, if you tell me that this was Paul Thomas Anderson writing and directing this film, I wouldn't know it based off of his earlier work. And while I don't think that says something terrible about him as a director, I think it's interesting to think about because like, is he then... Is he towing the line, so to speak, of like what we are supposed to expect from him? And I think it's probably better that he doesn't. I think it's good when people are able to escape the idea of who they are and still be successful and say like, hey, look, I don't have to set something in the 1970s and have sort of this like melodramatic ingenue on the screen and have this like quirkiness to it all at the same time. I can do something really serious and really well done. Yeah. And I think, I I, I actually think that the fact that he can vary his style is what makes him a better director, personally, Mm -hmm. for me, than someone like Wes Anderson. Yeah. Wes Anderson's whimsy can be so annoying sometimes. It always comes back to this one joke from one of the Golden Globes where Amy Poehler says something like, they're talking about the celebrities in the room. They're like, oh, look, and there's Wes Anderson who came in in a car made of antique tuba parts. That And that's the joke <laughs> that like Wes Anderson, he's just so whimsical and so cute and so clever. And like, it's obnoxious. Well, and you brought up Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like when I, if you showed me once upon a time up until that last, yeah. that yeah. last part, I wouldn't have guessed it's a Quentin Tarantino film. You actually might've thought it's a P.T. Anderson. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I was thinking when I was watching yeah. Licorice Pizza. It's like, it's very similar to that. But up until that last part of when, yeah. uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> for, the, for Once Upon a Time. For Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The last, you know, section, I guess, it's not even the last third. It's not third, even the last the, third. It's the climax. The last 30 minutes, let's yeah. say, of the film shows what could have happened the night that the Manson family broke into the Tate home and murdered her, and instead they attack Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Then there's a lot of violence, which is typical Quentin. Quentin. 
But up until that point, I was like, this is, I was so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, Quentin's doing something different. I get what he's doing here. He's telling us this story. He's using real people to tell it. Yeah. Like I was really enjoying it. And then I got to that last 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, he, he, he couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't do he it. Couldn't, couldn't yeah. keep your cool together yeah. for one minute without some random blood. Like yeah. I don't. Some extreme violence and some random <laughs> yeah. blood. Yeah. And I was disappointed <laughs> in, in Quentin. I thought he was finally showing some oh, restraint into it. Yeah, but he didn't. And but so I, as much as I d- didn't love this, I respect PTA. Yeah. I think that this is like quite the departure from his previous mm-hmm. films, and it's re- it's commendable. I'm curious. So he did not win Best Picture. No, or Best Director. He, or screenplay, right? Or screenplay. Do you? How do you feel on that stance? I actually think No Country for Old Men is the better film. It's tough, and I kind of yeah. wish I had watched No Country for Old Men before watching this, so that I could mm-hmm. have the direct comparison. I think at the time I did like No Country for Old Men more. I thought it was a, I thought it was more taunt as a like as a film and as especially as a thriller. It really yeah. is. It is has moments of real edge of your seatness to it. Mm-hmm. And despite it being about, you know, violence in America, really, you, the still movie was still very accessible. Like it could be about something, but still the like masses could watch it kind of thing. Whereas yeah. this is like, no, you have to be able to like sit there and like stomach this. Process, process it and like go and, like, through the motions. Yeah, go through the it. motions and like get to the end. And even when it ends, you're like, so is it over? Like you're well, not. Yeah, and then he said he's finished. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it just it ends. It arbitrarily ends the way movies like this often do. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Now when I think now when I watch back, I think this might be the stronger film. Oh, but I really like No Country for Old Men. I think we should do a double feature. But we've reviewed both of these movies now. Like for ourselves. Okay. No, but I do I do kind of want to go back and now watch that because we did watch it last year, No Country. Mm-hmm. And when I watched it, I was going through a rough time. Yeah, you didn't like it that <laughs> yeah. much. I didn't Can love it Can you pull up our time. ratings? Yeah, I have them right here. Yeah. <laughs> Let me open up the Google Sheets and the uh, star ratings. No Country for Old Men. Nadim, you gave it. I think four and a half. Four and a half, and I gave it three and a half. Wow. Yeah. Do you revise that rating? I won't, and I would need to watch it again before okay. I revise it. I do, like, I know at that time what I was, like, I was moving at the time, and so that played into, like, my yeah. viewing experience. Yeah. And, like, also I had to watch it, like, on my laptop as I was packing stuff. Like, that's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, because I couldn't, couldn't take two hours off to watch a movie. Yeah. So I know that like played a part into it. I just, when I'm thinking back on it, I do remember just being more entertained by that storyline than I am about this man and his greed. Just because I feel like I've seen that so much. But I'm, but then when, if you ask me to give examples of when I've seen it. Yeah, I was just going to say. I can't even think, but I just feel like I, like I've watched Wall Street. Like I've watched. Yeah, and I was thinking I've like maybe wa- Wolf of Wall Street, for instance. That too, right? But Anything with the word Wall Street yeah. in it. I feel yeah. like the difference is, is that a lot of those movies talk about greed, like almost it's like, it's like lust. I really think this puts greed at a very 
understandable level. Like his greed mm. isn't gross. It's competitive and it's aspirational and all of that. But his greed isn't, and when I mean gross, I mean greed is gross. It's a, it's, you know, it's a, one of the deadly sins. Yeah, all I was gonna of that. say like he's willing but to murder. <laughs> he's willing to murder, but I do mean that like, it's hard because it's more approachable and it's more uh, consum- consumable. It's more consumable, and it feels more like greed, everyday greed. Wolf of yeah. Wall Street, for instance, is not the everyday man, and it's not the greed of the everyday man. It's not to have yacht parties with yeah. girls. This, but I think this again, it's due to the time period, right? But like, I also think that's the pursuit. I think one of the reasons you don't see women in this film is actually very calculated, mm-hmm. because women would have to be in this time period wives or prostitutes. Like there mm-hmm. would be no other place to put them, and that makes them objects. And so mm-hmm. he actively, for the instance, there's a scene where they go to a brothel, and the option to have a woman is there, and he does not, not take it. it. Yeah. So I think that's a very calculated choice to say his greed is actually like, it's about, it's not about money. It's not necessarily about wealth. It's about success. And it's about Mm. competition. And Mm. that greed is, I think, a greed that a lot of people actually really have, but can't articulate necessarily. It's about the rat race and the pursuit. The the it's pursuit. The it's the ambition. He is an ambitious mm. man, and the wealth is a byproduct of it. Whereas in Wolf of Wall Street, the money is the goal. Why is he ambitious? I don't think that needs explanation. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Why does everything? I think it's a very complex character. Like the thing that I en- enjoyed from it was this idea of like. He obviously wants human connection. Yeah. Like he wants to be with his son and he wants to like grow a business with him, but he doesn't know how to process those things. Like he just is incapable of being a good human. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like what drives him for all, like what, what is, why does he want all this oil? Why? But I think that's, that's the absolute I think you you kind of want an explanation in terms of just like, I kind of need, in the grand scheme of like filmmaking, you're like an explanation would be nice. But I think what PT is trying to do here is he's just trying to say the pursuit of something like this is just the pursuit of it. It's the pursuit of ambition and it's the pursuit of greatness. And that is, I think, something that most humans aspire to. Do you know? Like, I think that's just all it is. I think it's not like he doesn't have a backstory where his dad thought he would never be successful and like anything like that. Anything that'd be so gross. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Like it just exactly. And that's what it is where this just feels like an absolute. He just wants wealth. He just wants success. He is who he is. He wants to be successful. And that's all that this is about. It's not about some like Kapka Mamie story. Because for a lot of people, it isn't about those things. It just is what it is. I also really like the way the relationship with religion is kind of always combative. Mm. And I think this says a lot about PT's stance Own on religion. Experience yeah. with religion, yeah. Clearly, in this movie, where this man is a murderer, you're supposed to hate the preacher more. So, I mean, what's that? What's he kind of, you know... What does that, what tell, does that you? tell you? Yeah, what's you're supposed to, to stay that? on the side of, like... Well, the preacher also embarrasses him in front of his own whole congregation. Yeah. And, like... I've abandoned my child. That's really <laughs> the lines are just so good, Mita. Okay, but I'm I, I'm curious. Why do you hate Paul Dano? Because he's very good in he's this. Very good in this. 
I'll give him that. <laughs> what's he's you, also very why good do you hate Paul Dano so much? I'm just, uh-huh. He's also very good in Prisoners. And he will be very good in The Oh Batman. my god, yes, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. I'm just not a big fan yeah. of Paul Dano. I've just never I don't understand like... your hatred towards him. Yeah, I feel like he's just got a very punchable face. And he's made a career out know, of that. He like He has made a career he's... out of having that punchable face. Yeah. I'm proud of him. Are you? Little baby Paul Dano in this. I was so excited. It's like, Paul Dano. <laughs> and then I was like, Paul Dano twice. <laughs> in two characters. Uh, also, I can't pronounce his name. Kieran Hines. Is it Kieran? Yeah. I did not recognize him. Yeah. Where did he? Was he nominated? No. It was just I feel like Daniel, um, Daniel Day-Lewis. Just Daniel. Okay. Mm. Daniel's performance. Daniel's performance. I don't like the accent. Really? I'm not, I can't. It's too... Like he's... It's too virtuous. Gratuitous? <laughs> virtuous. Virtuous. Okay. That's the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's too... It has like a virtuous quality to okay. it. And I can't... I have a hard time standing behind it. It was getting on my nerves because I don't understand why. Like why he, he obviously is why he had it. I think why he did this accent specifically because he can manipulate his voice in a lot of ways. He's proven that before. Yeah. He's the Meryl Streep of accents, right? Because there's almost a British quality still to the voice, and I don't not quite understand where he's going with that okay especially because we don't know his background like we don't know like was he born american i think the idea is he is born american yeah and i think the accent is there because he comes from money i don't know if i like it (laughs) no (laughs) i just like there's something i can't pinpoint there's something so there's it's there's kind of like it's kind of pretentious in a way it's a little pretentious yeah yeah, and I think, because when I think about him, I do think he has sociopathic tendencies. Yep. As this character, would he not then try to manipulate his voice in a way that he's more of the people if he's always trying to be with the people and get them to trust him and to get their, get, their get gain on. something from them? I don't know. I think Maybe. he didn't think about this enough. <laughs> I'm just going to tell him. Do you think the things are bothering you more because you just weren't gripped by the film? That was the first thing that stood out to me, though. Mm. The voice. I was like, oh, this is what you chose to do? Mm. And then it kind of just lingered on. Because I'm able to separate my own feelings from, yeah. like, is this an actual, actually good film? I don't think it's my feelings towards the films. I, do, I don't think this voice was, like, the right choice for him i do think it's a really strong performance especially that last yeah scene because i can't think of anybody that would actually be able to do that other than him and do it with it to say a line like i drink your milkshake i drink it up like how do you not laugh how do you make it frightening how do we get so scary i was very scared for baby paul dano as you should have been yes but you tell me what you feel about DDL's performance. I, I think it's, I've, I've mentioned it. I think it's a career-defining performance. Like, I think this is the one that goes down. I think... That was my point. Sorry. Now I remember yeah. <laughs> the thing that I Full wanted circle. to say earlier. You called it a career-defining performance. Yeah. 
Do we feel like things kind of went downhill for Daniel after this? No. I still nine? think. Nine? Lincoln? But nine. Phantom Thread? But nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he made a bad choice. But I also think, like, that's, those movies are also, like, of the three that, well, maybe not Phantom Thread, but Lincoln and Nine are very, like, commercial films. Do we feel like that's the Daniel Day-Lewis we know as an are actor? Are they? I feel like Nine was. I'm really hung up on how bad Nine was, which yeah. you still haven't seen, right? I haven't, no. Yeah, you don't. Like, it's really hard to forgive him for that. <laughs> That's not his really... fault. That is more, what's his face? Um, oh, my God. He directed Chicago. Yeah. Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall. I didn't even have to look it up. I just it typed just... Chicago and I was like, yeah. Rob Marshall. <laughs> That's Rob Marshall's fault, do you feel like? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you, I haven't seen it, but I would bet money that the performance is probably pretty decent. It, I I cannot, I will not concede to the, his career didn't go down. It just didn't. Like in just, his illustrious career, know. he made some, he, he had some good choices, some bad choices. That is every uh-huh. actor's career. And I think Daniel Day-Lewis in that wave is probably a lot higher, averaging out a lot higher than most people. That's fair. I think Dan, I think nine was a calculated risk and it didn't pay off. No, it really didn't. But that's not his I doing. Kind of want to make you watch it now. It's not his fault that the movie wasn't good. That's that's Rob Marshall. He's also a large part of it, though. But it's like, Rob Marshall. Like I haven't seen it, Mitha, but it's Rob Marshall. I have seen <laughs> Memoirs of a Geisha and Into the Woods. Like I know what Rob Marshall is capable of not yeah. doing. So mm-hmm. nine is Rob Marshall. Don't you feel like someone of his caliber, though? Could help at least pick up that film. Maybe he already did. I think we're going to have to watch Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any sequel prequel ideas? Um, I would like to know what happened after he was finished. Oh, yeah. That's a good, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a very good question. Because, um, spoiler alert, Paul, Paul Dano's dead, guys. <laughs> yeah. Baby Paul Dano dies in a bowling alley. Yeah, in a very violent uh, death. Yeah, and somebody else knows about it. <laughs> so there are theories that that never happens. Like it's in his he imagination. Yeah. Both murders? I don't know about both murders. Do they think he's Patrick Bateman? No. I think there's... Because that's a theory too. Is there? <laughs> that's a whole theory that like Patrick Bateman didn't actually... Like, you know, oh, there's yeah. all this but confusion about Oh, yeah, but that is the theory. Huh? That is the theory that Patrick Bateman yeah. actually didn't kill anybody. Yeah. I don't think but so that's then why it. were you surprised by that? I thought you I didn't know how you were connecting <laughs> this and that together. I don't think they think he's Patrick Bateman. I think there's a okay. theory that at the end he doesn't kill the the, the priest. But that is but in why? His... Why do people have that theory? I don't know. People like, come we, up with theories. We watched about things, it happen. Lisa. You come up with theories <laughs> about things. <laughs> but we have no indication to think that his greed overshadows his actual like thoughts. No, and I think that's what the end is trying to highlight, that, like, eventually mm. the greed takes over. I think okay. he has this sense of moral obligation and his desire for family and all of that. It kind of goes back and forth within him, and by the end, the greed has just taken over. And what he does is, when he kills the preacher, is he's put an end to all of the other questions. He's gotten rid of his son, he's killed the preacher, and now it's just all about the wealth. 
I would like to know where HW is as well. He's happier in Mexico. What's he up to? You know, his own business. Yeah. Does greed get the best of him? Probably. I think it gets the best Probably. of everybody. But and then, you know, it's a question of nature versus nurture. Maybe. I Oh, that would... Paul. <laughs> Thomas Anderson, not Dano. No, not Dano. Or Dano. Dano can write. Yeah. Dano's a writer. Maybe. So there you go. Mr. Maya Rudolph. <laughs> I'm going to go into my rating, and then you okay. can mull over yours. <laughs> I really like this. This viewing, I'm older. I'm smarter. Wiser, wiser. Are, yes. Yeah, you are older and wiser. You have a bit more worldly knowledge. And I think at the time, there was a, definitely a little bit of... I was 22, so I'll, I was definitely smarter than I was at like 16. I think I'm uh-huh. just, I just have a little bit more like awareness now. And when I'm yeah. watching it now, I'm definitely... I definitely pick up on the nuances. I appreciate a little bit more. We didn't talk about the score in this film, which is oh my god, amazing. Yeah. Like, I'm going to bed listening to that. It's tonight. Amazing! <laughs> it's so it's such good. a good score. It defines yeah. that film. This movie is just—it's so classy as a film, and it's so well put together. And I think what I really marvel at is the complete restraint and the lack of anything gratuitous. There's no gratuitous mm. language. There's no gratuitous nudity. There's no gratuitous violence. Nothing about this film is excessive. It's really everything is there with purpose and with reason. And yes, it's slow and it's two and a half hours about an oil baron. You know, it's not a fun film either. It is definitely a lot darker and a lot more tense. It's a lot more heavy as a film overall. Mm. I do think it's a very rewarding film, though. When you get to that end... You feel like you've experienced something. You feel like you've experienced a movie. Someone likened this movie to the Citizen Kane of our time. And I think that's Um. actually such an apropos comparison. I can totally see people hating this in 20 years and being like, what was the big deal? Absolutely not understanding why at the time it was, it, it, it has the stature stature that it does, that it has the respect Mm -hmm. that it does. I think this is actually really good. And between the two of them, I don't know. I don't know if I like No Country for Old Men or this. I think they might be just... I don't know who I would have voted for is what I'm getting at. I think No Country for Old Men is slightly more fun just because when you have a villain as psychotic as Anton Sugar, who's kind of like otherworldly, that's... It's just a little bit more entertaining to watch. No matter the tension and the suspense and the palpability, this doesn't have those things. There's no Mm -hmm. fear. There's no suspense. And it doesn't need it, by the way. It is a tense film that has a very tense tone throughout, and that's exactly what it is. And it feels very real and raw. And again, that's all it is. It doesn't need those things. But those things are what makes No Country for Old Men more likable. I do think they are both excellent films. I do think they are both defining films for our time. I do think they are what masculine films should be. Movies about men, movies about masculinity, movies about things that are important to men. I think Mm -hmm. these are things, as a man, this is a very relatable film. That pursuit of something that, you know, the, the, the tie that bonds you to that pursuit versus the tie that bonds you to your family. I think those are like real things that a lot of men go through. And that masculine energy that kind of radiates through this, it feels purposeful and it feels necessary almost i think women actually would have made this movie worse and i don't rarely say that because i think women and men are integral to most stories 
if you've ever seen that movie The Women, where it's just an all cast of women, it's terrible. It's an awful film because it's badly written. It's it's just it doesn't work because you have no balance. But this movie without the balance works. But that's because it's intentional. I honestly could talk about this a lot. I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. And I'm going to make this complicated for myself and give it four and a half stars. Oh! Yeah. I was actually, when I got into this, I was thinking four stars. Yeah. But then you heard you're no country for old men with four and a half and now. Yeah, that's what it is. And I'm like, when I think about it now, I was, I'm like, no, I think I really respect them quite well. And the other thought is, well, did I give no country for old men too high a rating? And I'm like, no, I didn't. I think I actually gave that what I wanted. And I think I'm going to give this the same because I do think they're both great. Okay. Mita. Okay. Mm. I am taking my personal feelings of the 1900s (laughs) out. Out. I'm taking them out for a walk. And I'm looking at this as a film. And I think all the points you nailed on the head there. It is well written, it's well directed, it's well performed, even though that accent is a little Mm off-putting, if you ask me. (laughs) Um, But it is a story that, I keep saying that it's a story I've heard before, a story of greed, but it's told in so much more of a respectable manner. Mm -hmm. Like, you, it's more consumable than watching something like Wolf of Wall Street or Wall Street, or even like something like The Big Short, which also has like Mm -hmm. aspects of greed within it. Like, this is, I mean, The Big Short is highly consumable it's almost like tasting like a big gulp of soda where this is like sipping on greed on some like fine wine yeah it's gonna go down your throat a lot smoother you're gonna be able to like taste the notes of yeah whatever (laughs) you know um an okie afterbirth (laughs) i tasted some cinnamon yeah (laughs) um but yes this is much more consumable because it's so well crafted, mm-hmm. there is a lot of art put into it, and it's not like it's not too pretentious. It's not in your face mm-hmm. saying like, "Look at me! Like, look what I'm doing! Look at the subtext behind yeah. this!" And like you mentioned before, that last the last like 45 minutes of this movie is just chock filled of dialogue that's very memorable. And like, look, it's. Came out in 2007 and I, I had never seen yeah. this movie and I knew about the milkshake line. Did you watch that am... SNL sketch I sent you? <laughs> no, I haven't Please go yet. watch it. Okay. <laughs> but I knew about the milkshake line because it's had that moment in pop culture. And I totally agree with what you're saying of it being the Sizzling Kane of our time because I do think... 20 30 years like i think in a short amount of time there are going to be people coming out saying like this wasn't as great as we once thought thought this is boring and the other thing that you brought up that i think really did nail why i have such that dis such of a disconnect is the lack of females in this movie and i agree with you that it would just have cheapened it and it wouldn't be as high a caliber of a film if it did just have the one like one-off woman Mm -hmm. in there um, to kind of like juxtapose his strong greed and masculinity. Like I think that it was the right choice to be made. But as a feminist, <laughs> I don't like that word, but I'll call myself that because Nadim tells me that I am all the time. I'm a feminist too, for the record, Mita. I call myself <laughs> yes. a feminist. But as a female, female feminist. feminist, it's not that I can't appreciate fine masculine films. Like there's no toxicity here. It's just really hard to connect with it. 
it was hard for me to like grasp this concept and go for the ride. Mm-hmm. I can totally respect that it's a beautifully made film and that it is directed well and written and acted well. But I just, I can't relate to the male experience that this film is showing. And so it's really hard to sort of understand those concepts. And I don't think the film does a good job of explaining the male experience. But I don't think it needs to. I don't, I'm not saying it has to do that. But in terms of if I'm thinking about why can't I connect with this? Why can't I actually like understand this the way that maybe like love this the way that you do? It's because I don't have that there. I don't have something that I can hold on to and like go, go on the ride with. Have you ever seen The Women? Yes, and it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the original The George the Cooper one yet. Yeah. Um, but I've seen the more recent one with Meg Ryan. And, like, it's terribly written. The women in that movie are terrible. Yeah. Like, they're not written like real women. And I'm... Yes, it's deplorable. And I'm not saying every movie needs women. I'm just saying that in this particular movie where there aren't any women... And this movie speaks so much to the male experience and to what it's like to be an ambitious male. I just don't, I don't get it. I can't, I don't know what that's like. And like, I'm never going to know what that's like. You don't think women can identify with the pursuit of ambition here? I. Do you think the complete lack of women is really that much of a hindrance? This film doesn't. And again, it goes back to that point. You don't think it's necessary, but I don't know why he's ambitious. I really need that why. I need to understand why somebody is the way they are. And it doesn't have to be this big speech about the thing. Like, it could just be, I don't think there's anything in here that kind of like hints as to, you know, what has led him to this path. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my take. Yeah, that's your hot take. <laughs> yep. I get it. That's my take. And I went into this thinking a rating, and I'm sticking with that rating. It just so happens to be the same rating as No Country as Old Men, which I did not remember what my rating was, but it is three and a half stars. Okay. So I think we'll have to, at some point, who knows when, maybe in the near future, We'll have to revisit No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood yeah. and answer the, the 2007 question, which, which film is the better film? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a real tough one. It will. Are you glad you watched this? Oh, yes. I am glad. Because now I will know the difference between <laughs> No Country for Finally. Old Men and There Will Be Blood. And I, 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 I'm very impressed with Paul Thomas Anderson. I said it before. You know, people are usually pigeon-held yeah. to the one thing that they've done. He had a... Boogie Nights is the first feature film that he directed, mm-hmm. right? Because he had done shorts before. Yeah. But when your first film is something that's so recognized and people instantly think of you as this great director, it must be so hard to kind of escape that. Yeah. And, it, and escape it and still produce something of quality. And, like, he was able to do that with this. And so I think that that is very admirable as a director. Because I think the directors, like, when we name off who are the greatest directors of our time, like, when we think about Hitchcock, even Scorsese, Coppola, Tarantino, (laughs) they, all their films 
look and feel the same way and they don't really stretch themselves Mm -hmm. as creators and i think this must have been so much of a stretch for him and i'm glad that it was successful yeah yeah good i'm glad i'm glad you enjoyed this thank you fincher stretches himself (laughs) i don't that's like i think that's like if you watch something like the game and then you watch something like the social network I think the social network is the exception to the rule. And this is coming from someone who likes David Fincher. But Fincher doesn't stretch himself as much. Tonally, never. None of his films tone, even the social network. I guess that's the subject matter. Yeah, it's always, there's always a tone. Looks even are very similar. Like he needs to lighten it up some somewhere. I'd like to see him do something a little like a bit comedy. lighter. Not necessarily even a full-fledged comedy, but like, something a little lighter in tone because his movies are so dire. Don't you feel like Gone Girl could have been such a cheesy movie? Yes. That's also because the source material is good. And he does elevate it. I will say that. He does elevate it. I actually think the movie's better than the book. That's my stance. I want to reread the book, but we'll see. I'll rewatch the movie. Okay, anyways, this is like totally off topic. It's totally off topic because now it's time to play. Oh, yeah. It's time for different characters. Same world. Okay. Heavyweights. Okay, Nadim. Is it heavyweights? <laughs> no. Okay. God, you're the worst. You're pro- probably not going to get this. I don't know. Okay. okay. We'll see. One of them is the director it's a character from one of the director's previous movies okay okay so your character names are longfellow deeds okay michael greats okay brandy brandy randy 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 Randy. okay and your timer starts now is randy wes craven no okay is it the actor who plays Randy in Scream? No. Okay. That's Jamie Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy. And no. Okay. Yeah. No. It's not Scream. It's not Scream related. Okay. But I, I love Scream, and if anyone ever wants to talk about it, let me know. <laughs> what were the other two? Longfellow Deeds. Is that? And Michael Greats. Is Longfellow Deeds related to Mr. Deeds with Adam Sandler somehow? Yes. It's who played... 20 seconds left. So is it Adam Sandler? No. Has he ever played Longfellow Deeds? No. It's also, okay. You're going to have to give me, I think, the names of the actors. Seven seconds. We'll just let this tick tick out. Tick tick boom. Two, one, zero. Have you seen Tick Tick Boom yet? Not yet, yet, no. Okay. (laughs) Um, So Longfellow Deeds is the character of uh, Adam Sandler plays in the film Mr. Deeds. Yeah. So good for you for remembering that. Which is directed by Stephen Brill. Okay. Michael Greitz. Yeah. Is Ben Stiller's character in Reality Bites. So Ben Stiller. And Randy is played by Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Sorry. Randy's from a TV show. Okay. Randy is played by Tim Blake Nelson on um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. We're watching something with, oh, is it something Greenleaf? No. Okay. I don't know then. We're watching heavyweights. Are we? Yeah. <laughs> so I was right. You were. I was right. Aren't he a good actor? 
Heavyweights. Heavyweights in the name. Finally. Heavyweights available on Disney Plus. Is it? Yeah. Can't mean that. Heavyweights. So I was right. I did get this one. There you go. I guess we're I mean, still playing the game though. But did you like? I hit that really well. You paused when I said heavyweights. You like, there was a moment where you, I think I caught it, and then you were like, "No, it's not." And I was like, "Okay." No. <laughs> really? Um, but yeah, we're watching heavyweights. heavyweights what a next time to week. be alive! This is a big Such one. A why, why, why did you just keep this for the end then, as your last picture? <laughs> Um, be- well, that was my surprise because I was originally that was my my whole plan. Yeah. My whole plan was to lead up to heavyweights, yes. but then I was like, Nadim's gonna guess that. Nadim's oh, gonna true. know I'm waiting until the yeah. very end. So I decided to do my second to last oh, film. Okay, that's good. Is heavyweights, and then we're watching. Yeah. And also, that. I didn't want my last movie to be to heavyweights. Be heavyweights. I get yeah, that. <laughs> it's gonna be nine. I'm very excited. Our last one, huh? It's gonna be nine. No, <laughs> I can't do two bad movies. <laughs> but I guess that's for next week. We'll find out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Oh, please. We know what's going to happen with heavyweights. <laughs> okay, guys. There is a line, but Mita doesn't feel comfortable saying it. Mm-hmm. She thinks it takes a masculine energy to say it. So I just, I'm like, going to give I'm not, some parting words. I can't words. do it. I can't do it justice. Like, I literally have to picture myself killing someone to be able to do so how about we do this i'll say the line but you have to then do the lines opposite things up so you have to do the like you know thanks so much for listening please like subscribe share and no what me that because that's consistent with it okay fine i'll do the line i'll do the milkshake line okay you're gonna do it (laughs) yeah okay say it (laughs) i have to read it i drink your milkshake i drink it up i I don't know it just doesn't feel right (laughs) do you want me to try you try it. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. That was better. <laughs> that was better. Okay. I don't know. I don't like it. Thank you so much for listening, friends. <laughs> Please like, subscribe, share, and... Rate and review. And we will see you next week, finally, for Heavyweights. <laughs> I'm so <Woo>! excited. <laughs> I'm glad. See you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World, sponsored by no one. You can follow us on Instagram at Movies to Watch Pod, on Twitter at Movies the Number Two Watch Pod, on the TikTok at Movies to Watch Pod, or send us an email at Movies to Watch Pod at gmail.com. As always, keep your pants on and don't forget to smell the Kevin Bacon. <laughs>